This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, from the ESV. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, or in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you, Irv. So let's start out this morning talking a little bit about Starbucks. Yes? No? What would happen if you took all the coffee out of Starbucks? What would be left? Some, yeah, some mediocre breakfast, right? Some kind of okay quiche, those little cake pops, those are pretty good, I guess, but really not a whole lot else because the very essence of Starbucks, the very thing Starbucks is founded on is coffee. What would happen if you took pizza out of Pizza Hut? You don't got a lot left. Pizza and Pizza Hut go hand in hand. It is what Pizza Hut is built on, what it's, um, the essence of Pizza Hut is pizza. And I want to say to you, more than coffee is the essence of Starbucks and more than pizza being the essence of Pizza Hut, the gospel, the gospel is the very essence of the church. It is the very thing the church is built on. And if you remove the gospel from the church, you've just changed it from the organization that God has intended. It's no longer the thing that God wants it to be. Trust me, churches have tried. 
we have gone to things like what we've called for decades now the social gospel, which is basically organizations being built, like hospitals being built and homeless shelters being built. And uh, hospitals are good things and homeless shelters are good things. But those things are built and we don't get to the good news of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, faith alone, in him alone. If we don't get to that, then those things are, are, are not the church. There are other things than the church. We have this thing now that's very popular, the non-offensive gospel, which is basically let's take out hell, let's take out sin, and let's just talk about all the warm, fuzzy things. Well, the problem is is that uh, you need hell and you need sin to push us to Jesus Christ. And to have half the gospel is no gospel at all. We want to be God's kind of a church. And if we're going to be God's kind of a church, then here's your big idea of the day. We will be a church saturated with the gospel. If we're going to be God's kind of a church, we're going to be a church saturated with the gospel. We're in a series called The Gospel in Life, and we're just trying to help you to see how central the gospel is to everything we do. We started by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul talks about the gospel. He said it's the preeminent truth. And he said Jesus died on the cross for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and then rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And he went back to the gospel. And we saw then the next week that it wasn't just Paul. It was all the authors of the Bible constantly connect back to the gospel. So we see all throughout scripture, gospel connections to be made. And from those gospel Gospel connections flow out gospel behavior. We saw that specifically in marriage as Drew came up and Drew talked from Ephesians chapter 5 about how the gospel will impact me as a husband and the gospel will impact the wives. And we saw how a married couple needs to have a life founded on the gospel. And then last week, uh, Adam came up and talked about how the gospel impacts parenting. And today we're asking the question, how does the gospel impact the church? And I want to tell you, the essence of the church is the gospel. And the foundation of the church is the gospel. And I want to make that argument, if we can do a little Bible study, Even before we get to the main part of the sermon, I want to dive in to the first part of Ephesians. So let your eyes fall first off. Are you guys okay to do some Bible study? Y'all all right to do that? All right, take a look at Ephesians 4.1, uh, where Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. I therefore, you don't just start an argument out that way. So if I said, hey, Bethany, therefore, you should give me all the money you have right now in your purse... Bethany would want to know, what was the therefore, therefore? Why is he asking me for all that money? Like, I need to know the argument before I will do the action. And so Paul comes in and says, therefore, walk worthy. Therefore, walk worthy. What's the therefore, therefore? What's the argument he's trying to make? Great question. Let's see it all throughout the book. Let your eyes fall in chapter 1. In chapter 1, just starts out this way. In verse number 3, if you would. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. In Christ, everybody say in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which which, he, which with he has blessed us in the beloved. Now watch verse number seven. In him, everybody say in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. You've been forgiven of your sin. 
Isn't that an awesome truth? That's the gospel. So he starts right out. He's giving them the gospel. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But here's verse number four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us to lie together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. So there again is it's the gospel. And he's telling them the gospel again. But then you get to chapter 3. And I want to show you there's a little bit of a focus change here in chapter 3. Look at three one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf, the Gentiles. And he begins to talk about this stewardship of God's grace that was given to him. This stewardship of God's grace. He's more specific in verse number 7. And watch what he says now in verse number 7. And look at where his focus goes. Of this gospel, so he's talked about the gospel in chapter 1, talked about the gospel in chapter 2. So here he says in verse number 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles in searchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now watch number 10 now. So he, he's saying, he's saying, God gave me the gospel, Paul said, and God told me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, we're in a room full of Gentiles, so we all say, amen, and thank you, God, that the gospel's for the Gentiles. But but Paul said, I'm preaching to the Gentiles, and that's all for a reason. And verse number 10 is the reason. So that through the, what's your next word there? Church. Church. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God gave the gospel to Paul so Paul could give it to the church so the church could give it to the world. Saying it again. God gave the gospel to Paul. Paul preached it to the church. We have it written down for us in in the word. And we've been given that so that we would make the gospel known to the world. So here's an important gospel connection. The gospel must go out through the church. The gospel must go out through the church. This is amazing because do you know that what your neighbor needs more than anything else is he needs the gospel. What your coworker needs more than anything else is your coworker needs the gospel. Think about how different their life would be if they knew Jesus and they loved Jesus and they walked forgiven in Christ, how different their life would be if they had Christ. And we've been given the gospel to make it known to the world. The gospel must go out through the church. That shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said this in Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So we see that important gospel connection. I'm telling you, the gospel is the essence and the foundation of the church. And then you have this in verse number 14. Take a look at verse number 14 with me, if you would. Uh, this is 314. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit 
your, in your inner being. Paul says, you need some strength, and I'm praying that you'll get strength. Well, why do I need strength? Verse number 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You need strength to know how loved you are. Do you know Jesus Christ loves you with a love that can't be measured? It's higher than we can imagine. It's deeper than we can imagine. It's wider than we can imagine. And what, what Paul is saying is, I'm praying that you would have the strength to believe you're loved. Do you believe you're loved? Listen, most Christians don't. Most Christians walk around feeling like God's a little mad at them. Come on, be honest with me. How'd you live this week? Didn't you kind of have this idea that God's a little upset with me because I'm just not getting it right. I've messed up this way. I've messed up this way. And he got this, this cloud. And what Paul's saying is, no, no, no. I want you to have strength to know you are so, so loved. What is that? That's the gospel. That's the gospel going in. So yes, the gospel must go out through the church, but also the gospel must go in among the church. And I say among the church because it says there with all the saints. This is more than just you and your world. This is us as a family coming to know him and living in his love. Is it just me or am I hearing a click track going on? Okay, good. Sometimes I hear things. <laughs> Ignore the guy behind the curtain. Now, I haven't even started my sermon yet. That's all foundation, okay? That's all foundation. That is all to say this is the intricacy. This is the beauty, the interwovenness of the gospel to the church. You take coffee out of Starbucks, you got nothing. You take pizza out of Pizza Hut, you got nothing. Take the gospel out of the church, you got nothing. We are a church founded upon the gospel, and therefore must be saturated in the gospel. Now, this will result in some things, and that's where you get now verse number, uh, chapter 4, verse number 1. Chapter 4, verse number 1. That's the therefore. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So he's talking to the church. We've already established that, and he's saying, you need to be worthy of this calling, worthy of the gospel. Okay, so what's that going to mean? Well, look, look where he goes first. Verse number 2. With all humility... And gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Here it is. Here's the imperative. Verse number three. Here's the gospel connection. We got all the gospel connections now. And verse number three is the gospel behavior. Here's the gospel behavior. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He's talking about unity. There's a principle you need to know in God's word. God will often give specific commands to groups of people in the very area they struggle the most. So he will tell fathers in Ephesians chapter 6, don't provoke your children to wrath. Why does he say that to fathers? Because dads can have a tendency to provoke their children to wrath. Let me try this one on. This will be resonating more with your parents. God will tell children, children obey your parents as to the Lord. Why? Because kids have a tendency to not obey their moms and their dads. 
Can I get a witness? <laughs> That's why when you're, you know, when they're two years old, man, as soon as they can talk, let's memorize the verse together. Here's the first verse. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Get it down. That's it. Now, here's the church. Here's the church. He's got all this gospel set up that he's done for three chapters. And the first thing he's going to tell the church is, listen, be unified. Be unified. Be together. Strive for unity. Why? Because churches have a tendency to fracture, to fight, to split. If you're in this room and you've been a part of a church that has had a split in its history, would you raise your hand? You've been, with, yeah, okay, just about every, almost everybody. And Paul is saying, listen, it's very important that you're unified. It's very important that you're unified. Why? Why unity? Let's talk about the why of unity for a moment. And I believe the why of unity has already been set up for us in what I just exclaimed to you uh, about the mission of the church, okay? The mission of the church. Uh, football. Let's talk football just for a second. It's really important that the football team is on the same page. Like when the quarterback calls a play, uh, it's very important that everybody's on that same page because he's going to take the ball and he's going to throw it to the dude if it's a passing play, and the dude needs to know where he's going to be. And and, and I, you know, for us, we love Notre Dame. Can I get a witness? And uh, and we want to. That was really weak. And and, and we want we want to see them winning. Why? Because with unity. Comes victory. Say it with me. With unity comes victory. So, so what's our goal line, church? What is the thing that is victorious for us? Well, we always established it. That through the church, look, let your eyes fall back in Ephesians 3.10, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. God wants the church to make the gospel known. Why be unified? Because the thing we're trying to do is very, very important. And I believe, man, I'm a biblical counselor. I sit in the room a lot with people and work through deep life issues. And I go, one answer. The answer is the gospel. You know what? It works every time for those who apply it and live it. And it's the answer for everybody. And we have, the church has it. So this mission we're called to makes unity so very important. So that leads to the question, well then how how are we unified? How do we live in unity? Great question. I love when you set me up that way by asking such great questions. Take a look at verse number 2. It answers that for us. Ephesians 4 verse number 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and a bond of peace. Do you see the attitude for unity that's there? Look at the words. We can do a deep dive in every one of these if you wanted to. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. The idea of all of them is the same. To be humble, I put others above me. I put myself lower than other people. And so it's you before me. That's what it is. I can sum up all of that by saying you before me. Would you say that with me? You before me. Would you tell your neighbor? You before me. You before me. Is, is, is that the way we normally walk around? Come on. Is that the way we normally walk around? I'm going to put you before me. Oh, no, please. You go first. You merge before I merge. You get over to the lane that I'm trying to go 70, no, not 75. Uh, I'm trying to go 55 in, 55, I promise. Uh, and, and no, we don't do that. We live us before everybody else and we approach church that way. 
And church becomes more about, or we approach church more like consumers than we do like servants. I'm excited for the church apparel stuff. You know, Courtney and I were looking at this the other night and we were checking out the church apparel and there's some things that I want in there I'm super excited about. There's some things I'm not, so I'm not going to get those things. I'm going to, you know, but some things I am going to get and I'm, and I'm pumped up about it. And by the way, I need a raise. Those things don't go hand in hand. Just, just, I'm just saying by, uh, but, but there's some really cool stuff in there that I'm eager to get and we're shopping and we're picking the things we like and we're, we're discarding the things we don't like. But is that the way we chose our children? Would it be kind of cool? Website you go on to and redheads for sure. Redheads, all of them. Praise Jesus. Can I get a witness? Brunettes, no. Blondes, no. But redheads, yes. And I want, you know, athletic kids. We didn't check that box at all, at all. But we got the music box down. We got the music box down. Very, very great. And, and so, uh, and then, then one, the last one, we're just going to make Perfect. You're just going to be a little angel. And so we check now. But we don't, you don't, you don't pick your kids that way. You just get what you got, right? God gives you what you got and you hang with it and you stick with it. Sometimes they frustrate you. Sometimes you love them and you just do life together. Question, is the church more like a mall or is the church more like a family? Now listen, uh, when you're choosing a church, I get it. You're moving to town. You're picking a church. Be picky. Like, be sure they got the right things there. But once you've picked it, once you've settled in, once you're there, once you've committed, man, treat it like a family and lean in like a family. And there are times when they frustrate you and times where they, where they don't and all of that is there. And I got to then put you before me. Say it one more time. You before me. Now, why would I do that? Because Jesus put me before himself. And Jesus was humble. And Jesus was gentle. Look at the words in verse number two. And Jesus, bear, he still bears with me. He's patient and he bears with me. And, and, and if, listen, this is what it looks like to live in the gospel. Like if I'm living in that, so tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have this natural feeling that God's kind of mad at me, but I'm going to set my feet on his love. And I'm going to remember his humility and his patience and how he bears with me through all of my junk. And then I'm just going to pour that out on the lives of those around me. And that, when we do that, when we live saturated in the gospel, it is going to unify us. And will the enemy attack? Church, will the enemy attack? God's doing some stuff here. And will the enemy attack? I'm telling you, next week I'm going to be launching really just this thing I've been working on for months now to really get us out with the gospel to our community. I'm really excited about just beginning to launch our church out because it's the area we need to grow in the most. Get the gospel out to Fort Wayne. And as we begin to attack that, is the enemy going to attack this? Yes, he is. And how are we going to be sure we stay unified? We're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, the gospel in our city. And we're going to be put on the gospel every day to love each other, to bear with one another because Christ did with us. A couple of questions here for you. When was the last time you were frustrated with somebody in the church? Chances are it was the pastor or one of them. Probably Drew or Adam. Uh, how would you, how would thinking about the gospel and God's love for you direct the way you treat that person? Hmm. When you think about how Christ has put up with all your junk and loves you still, what does that tell you about the attitude you should have with others? This is what gospel connections look like. So we are going to 
Strive for unity. That's what Paul talks about. Let's talk about this next, because the scripture does. Not only are we going to strive for unity, we're also going to do this. We are going to love uh, in ministry. We're going to love in ministry, love through ministry. Well, Jamie, where are you getting that? Uh, well, I'll show you exactly where. Take your, uh, let your eyeballs fall in verse number 7. I want you to see this now with me, verse number 7. But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here's where it goes next, okay? But grace was given to how many? To each one, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore said, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's really interesting. Now, in verses 9 and 10, he talks about this ascending and descending. The point is for sure, this idea that he gave gifts to men. In fact, let your eyes fall on verse number 11. He gets specific about some, not all, but some of those gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Those are some of the gifts. But there are others that he's given. In fact, to see that, let your eyes, would you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12 for a minute. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is one of the very first uh, verses I memorized. I was in Awana growing up. How many of you grew up in Awana? Anyone grew up in Awana? Awesome. Some of you did. And I remember very clearly growing up in Awana and uh, memorizing Romans 12, 1 and 2 of some of the first verses that I memorized. And I, mar- I had to memorize in the old King James. So I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, <laughs> you know, words you don't use anymore. But the whole passion of 1 and 2 is, hey, you're a living sacrifice. You're a living sacrifice because of what Christ has done. But now look at verse number 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Each one, there, there's that each again, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members are all the same function. So we, the many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Here's verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. We've got a building campaign coming up. I better read that one again. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Church, you have been given a gift. I want you to say that. I've been given a gift. Say it. I've been given a gift. And what we're to do is we're to use them. Verse number six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You've been given a gift. And you're an important part of this body. Do you believe that? You are an important part of this body. And we're a gifted body. We're a gifted body because Christ has given us gifts. Here's the point. The point is Paul's trying to make is that Jesus gifted each one to accomplish the task of helping us grow deeper together. So, um, we all have a pancreas. Did you know that? Talk about the human body a little bit. Pancreas is about four to six inches. It weighs just a couple of grams. In fact, it's only about 1.097% of your total body. So it's very small, seemingly insignificant, tucked away in your abdomen. And, uh, but, but if your pancreas isn't working right, then you're struggling with either type one or type two diabetes. And if your pancreas gets cancer, 
Do you know that pancreatic cancer is almost always deadly? Little part, but man, it's important. And if it's not functioning well, the body doesn't function well. We have a mission to get the gospel out to Fort Wayne, to Indiana, to the world. And we're planting a church in Wabash because we believe the church is the tool to get the gospel out. We want the gospel in Wabash. We want the gospel all over. And that means all of us have to get in and pitch in and use the gifts that God has given us. Tracking with me on that? So a question for you. What gifts do you have? And are you using them here? Now, there may be something in your life that you might not consider a gift that is actually a gift. Can I, can I tell you this morning that your struggles and your trials are actually gifts that you can use for the glory of God? Here's what I mean by that. Some of you are walking through some hard, hard things, and you have walked through some hard, hard things. I look back on our life, and I got a list of things. Someone asked me this week, well, how have you suffered? And I'm like, meh, just a little bit. Loss of a child, house burning down in a house fire, wife having cancer twice. Yeah, we've walked through a couple of things, and it's just a short list that I could think of. And on top of that, there's just the struggles that we all face. We all fight sin, right? You fight sin? How many here love the sin they fight? They love fighting sin. No, I hate it. Man, I wish I could just flip that switch and be like, perfect, you know? But I can't. I'm struggling and I'm fighting. But here's what that does for me. I know what it's like to walk through some hard things. Specific to my journey. I know what it's like to struggle and to fight. I know what that feels like. And what I can do is come alongside somebody and instead of being a travel agent, I could be a tour guide. You know the difference between a travel agent and a tour guide? A travel agent says, well, I don't really know about that, but I've heard about it. Here's a nice pamphlet of maybe how you can make it through that land. But a tour guide says, let me show you this, man. I've been through this time and time again. I know this land at the back of my hand. Let me just walk you through. And I want to encourage you to use those, even those trials and difficulties as gifts to help the body grow in love. So we have a gifted body. Now, look again at verse number 11, because I want to show you this. We have an appointed leadership. We have an appointed leadership. Because he focuses here, specifically back in Ephesians 4, back in Ephesians 4 now. Uh, in Ephesians 4, chapter 11, he gets specific about some leadership gifts. And he says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Well, I think apostles and uh, were specific to that time frame. So they were men who walked and talked and were taught uh, in person, one-on-one by Jesus. Uh, now, we have prophets today in the sense that people who tell God's truth and tell God's word, that, that's true today. And then evangelists, those who carry the good news. And, and specifically to the church, we have shepherds and teachers. Those are your pastors. And, and what am I supposed to do? Because this, this tells me my job then. So here's my job in verse number 12. So what, what am I supposed to do? Uh, and, and this is really important that you understand. Uh, because cause check it out. Uh, am, I, am I supposed to do the work of the ministry? Do you know the answer to that? Is my, is my job to do the work of the ministry? Yes, but look at the text. It's to equip the saints, verse number 12, for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? Say, I am. 
I'm not very saintly, pastor. No, we know you're not very saintly. But here's the deal. You have been set aside. That's what that word means. You've been set aside by God. If you believe in Jesus, you've been set aside by God. And you're holy in Christ, as we read before. And so you're a saint. And my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's my job. To equip you. But pastor, I really like him just coming and sitting and watching you do the ministry. Well, too bad. (laughs) Because we're not a church where you just come and sit. We're not. Why aren't we? Because this is why. We're a church that is passionate about discipleship. It's why we're more discipleship-oriented than seeker-oriented. There's a lot of churches that have gone seeker-oriented. No, I want the seeker to come to know Jesus, but I cannot water down what we do here in order to reach the seekers. that make sense? Because I have a job. I'm, I'm to equip you in the work of the ministry and help you get a firm doctrinal foundation. Look at the text. So we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, it says. I can't, I, I gotta get you grounded doctrinally. And, and I'm focusing on the saints. That's what we do here. Now we're, we're intentional and we have the whole ministry because we live, eat, breathe this as a pastoral staff. And we have passionately undergone doing our ministry in such a way that we're doing this for you. So that's why we have a discipleship pathway. I'll show this to you again quickly. Here's a discipleship pathway, 101, 201, 301, 401. And you should know where you are. 101 is you're coming to church, you're serving someplace, and you're in a small group. That's all 101 is. Easy stuff. Okay, I'm doing that, Pastor. Now what? Well, we got a set of booklets for you to walk through to give you a good, firm foundation in doctrine. Twelve booklets will help you walk through them. That's 201. Okay, I've done that, Pastor. Now what? Well, uh, keep your eyes peeled for the classes that we offer, and we want to offer more and more as we go forward. Discipleship, foundations of discipleship, foundations of soul care, all those things going on. And then fourthly, listen, we'll sit down with you and we'll specifically design your pathway. And for some of you, that is leadership. And so we have leadership pipelines. And leadership pipelines are really designed to help people become leaders in our church. And we don't just, listen, our elder board doesn't just sit around and pick our best friends to join our elder. The, the elders go through an intense training process. It takes almost a year, if not more than a year, to get through. This is a leadership pipeline we're talking about. And there's a lot of things involved with that leadership pipeline. And uh, for elders, they have to write papers on what they believe about the Bible, what they believe about God, what they believe about Jesus Christ. And there's books to read. There's study. We have several men in this pipeline right now. We have others who are on the deacon pipeline. Some who are on the um, small group leader pipeline. Some who are on the counselor pipeline. And we're just we're training leaders very intentionally. Why? Because we're trying to live out this passage. That's why. And we want to put people in the places where they can serve for the most capacity to use their gifts in service in ministry. So it brings me to this question. How have you been gifted to serve others? What experiences has God brought into, uh, you through that he can use to help other people? And then what would keep you from utilizing the resources that we developed to help you to grow deeper? What would keep you from getting involved in one of the levels and to take that next step? We're intentional, man. We're intentional. We want you to grow. Why? Because this text tells us. And that's what happens when you're gospel-saturated. Number three, let's strive for gospel unity. Number two, let's love Uh, through ministry, number three, let's reach for maturity. Why are you saying that? Well, there's a there's an end goal in mind. Okay, there's an end goal in mind, and I want you to see this end goal. Hey, I have a I have I have a, a passion for you. I want to see something happen to you, every one of you. Like like I, I have a dream for you that I want to see through to the end. 
But what's that dream? What are you trying to make me into, Pastor? Take a look at this, verse number 13. Until we obtain and watch these things, the unity of the faith, that's important, to the knowledge of the Son of God, vitally important, to mature manhood, and then he sums it up with this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 15. Rather speaking, and the worship team can come, by the way. Uh, verse number 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What do I want for you? What's my dream for you? To be more like Jesus. That's my dream for you. So say it like this. You, more like Jesus, and me, more like Jesus. Say that with me. You, more like Jesus, and me, more like Jesus. That's the dream. That's what I want for you, to become more like Christ. Why? Because when you're more like Jesus, you bring God more glory. Our mission, to glorify God by making disciples through the power of the gospel. And when you're like Jesus, you're going to bring him glory. Adam and I did not plan for his worship time in the word to, to, uh, to be exactly what I'm sharing right now, but God had planned it. So here's John 1.14. Uh, Adam pointed this out earlier, but check this out. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of, church, grace, and truth. Both are important, and Jesus didn't diminish either of them. Did Jesus ever back down from truth? He never did. The church should never back down from truth. That's the gospel. The truth is gospel. Churches are, but we can't because this world has no truth. Tim Keller had this tweet out this week that was really good. If you don't believe in God or natural law, how do you determine ISIS is morally wrong? Use your culture standards to judge theirs. Say, we just know. Well, who is we? They don't know. They have no foundation to say what's right or what's wrong. They need the truth. But Jesus wasn't just truth, was he? He was grace. And Jesus met that promiscuous woman by the well and said, I am the true water of life. Jesus reached out and he touched the leper. He touched the leper. He didn't have to do that. He could have said a word and that leper would have been healed. But Jesus touched him. Because he's so full of grace. Jesus gave food to the hungry. Jesus healed the sick. And I'm not saying we should do all of that. We should be all about that. And we should stand and preach the truth. Perfect grace. Perfect love. And I want you to see this in Jesus. Because as Adam pointed out, here's 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You see it? Beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image. As you see Jesus and think about Jesus, let your mind fall every day living saturated in the gospel. This is what I have through Christ. This is what I have through Jesus. Man, that's going to change who you are. You're going to pour then grace out to the church. The church is going to pour it out to the world. That's what we're after. So we're going to end today just standing firm and singing our hearts out. That's all about Jesus. So, Father, we would pray that you would help us to be a church saturated in the gospel. And, Lord, as we were a church saturated in the gospel, Father, you would send us out to preach the gospel to the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, please.
from glory Took on flesh to save the lost Grace and mercy Displayed upon the cross Our redemption He's the hope for all mankind One name over everything One name over
this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.